Welcome back to the Phoenix College Athletic Podcast. This is Coach Cameron. I'll be your host today. And along with me is going to be Dempster Jackson, who is our our newest uh, coach for our athletic department in cross country for men's and women's. We're very excited about this program coming back, and we're very excited about uh, having Dempster Jackson as our lead coach on this go around and we're in high hopes that he's going to take cross country to the next level. How you doing, Dempster? I am doing well, Dave. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No, no. Th- thanks for accepting the job. I, I was on the hiring committee and I was I was very um, impressed uh, with your resume and, and your background in cross country and, and uh, that hiring committee. And we're very excited to have you uh, with our program. Having said that, Let's talk a little bit about your your history now. I, I just to give you a little background on me, I'm a big track guy. So I, I ran track from elementary school through through high school. Um, but uh, I'm very curious to ask you about some of your times in the 400, anyways. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where sure. you come from, and what's your background. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Chicago. And um, attended Missouri State University. Now, like you, I ran track throughout elementary school, high school. Uh, I loved to run. But as it turns out, I attended college on a football scholarship. So I also played football. I did not run cross country in high school because I played football, but I ran track. And another interesting thing is, is that... Um, I never ran a distance greater than 200 meters until I was 40 years old. Oh, wow. And it was, yeah. So it was at age 40 that I began running middle distance and endurance races as a master's competitor, uh, just because I enjoyed running and I just, it just evolved, um, developed a great passion for it, began coaching club track in 2008 and um and just i've been coaching track and field and cross country ever since but i did not start out there well it's interesting you say that i I just picked up running again so i i started running in 2009 like long distance I, i was all 100 200 400 was the furthest i ever wanted to go and i was always kind of thrown to that event um but now I'm 44, turning 45 soon, and I'm running a 5K every day. And I've, I'm on day nine. I've been doing it about a month, but on and off. But I've been done nine straight 5Ks in, oh, the, wow. in the mountains. And I'm just, I'm addicted. I've never thought I could get to that point. But uh, it's uh, running's kind of changed my life at this point. Kind of, it's a big stress reliever for me. But uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally enjoy running. T- tell us a little bit about um, uh, your your coaching um, with uh, cross country and and track. Um, where where where'd you come from? Well, so um, I came from Northwest Christian High School. That's where I was coaching both 
track and cross country. Um, I've been, I was at Northwest Christian now for three seasons. And prior to that, I was at uh, Jefferson Prep High School. So I've been at some of your smaller, you know, division four state schools um, that either didn't have programs when I got there or um, didn't have very successful programs when I arrived. And I really enjoy the prospect of starting programs from the scratch or turning things around. And I was fortunate enough to, to do so both at Northwest Christian, at Jefferson Prep. Uh, I also started the program at Desert Hills out in Gilbert and um, had some you know, good success. I love the sport. I'm very much a student of it. And um, I've managed to put together some, some really good teams. Uh, there seems to be some basic themes that are missing from most of these kids' backgrounds when it comes to running. And uh, it's just a, a process of identifying their greatest limiting factors and then, you know, working on that and then adding those other components that, you know, contribute to greater success as a runner. So w- what, what do you bring to the table? Why would, why would anyone, any student athlete want to run for you? What are you, you going to do for the student athletes coming to Phoenix College that, um, uh, that you're going to attract talent to want to run for you? Well, one of the things is, is that I also was a student athlete. Um, I've been through, you know, all of the processes that they're going through. I was recruited. I competed. Um, I played at the collegiate level. Um, I come from a lot of the same places that the communities that we serve come from. So um, I have that shared experience. And then when you look at the, my track record, I have um, a good history of improving my student athletes, both as students and as athletes. Uh, I have a great deal of success instilling that academic importance on my student athletes, and it's reflected in how many of them end up being on all academic teams or academic All-Americans and so forth. Um, And then when you look at the actual running itself and the progress that they make throughout their careers as they run with me, um, I think it is a personal failure when an athlete of mine does not improve one year to the next, particularly in high school. Um, When I see kids who, who haven't made any progress throughout their high school careers, I just I can't understand that because as a coach, they should naturally improve just in the maturation process. And then if you're doing even a reasonably good job as a coach, then they should be getting faster and getting better as they as they mature and 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 just naturally uh, develop. So um, I have a good history and a good track record of, uh, you know, year over year over year improving my athletes. Um, and uh, putting up and producing better times. So speaking of improving uh, athletes, let's talk about a a few of them. Um, You've you've trained uh, some well-known athletes uh, at the national level from Team USA and Trinidad. Um, Talk about um, a little bit about your relationships with those athletes and how you help with them and any other, uh, I know you've, 
you train trained a Spartan world champion. Um, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Who were they, and how did you help them? Well, I don't know that they're necessarily household names, but yes, I um, when I originally started coaching track and field in 2008, um, it was originally, like I said, club track and field, and that evolved into um, a number of post collegiate athletes coming and running on my club team. So when I say post-collegiate, these were athletes that had finished their collegiate careers. Um, They'd come from either ASU or U of A or other schools across the country and and came to uh, run on my club team. Uh, They had a desire to run professionally or a desire to make an Olympic team and uh, compete in the Olympics or something along those lines. You know, they had, uh, you know, desires beyond just their collegiate careers. And, and in most cases, they had some good success. So uh, Dion White was a runner, and uh, he actually, though, was a sprinter. He was a 200-meter runner. So for as much as I am an endurance coach, I still have uh, – I'm, I'm grounded in sprint and sprint technique. That actually helps and contributes a little bit to uh, the success I have with my endurance runners because sprinters have a great deal more efficiency when they run, and I can translate that level of efficiency over to their endurance running. And they benefit greatly from me having had that experience of being a sprinter early on in my career and being a sprint coach for a period of time. So uh, the very first of the professional athletes or aspiring professional runners was uh, Dion White, uh, a specialist out of ASU. And um, as is the case with a lot of college programs, when uh, an athlete has the capacity to to contribute in a lot of different areas like he did, they will take advantage of that. And so he ran everything, the 100, the 200, the 4 by one the 4 by 4 the 400. Um, he was an exceptionally good athlete. And so they used him everywhere they could because he could produce points in everything that they, they placed him. But that doesn't contribute to his an athlete's ultimate success in a particular event. Um, and post-collegiate, he's then afforded the opportunity, or he was afforded the opportunity to just focus specifically on what he thought was his primary event. And for him, he thought that was the 100. And my coaching staff and I, we thought it was the 200. And and so and that's what it ended up being because uh, he went on to qualify for the um, uh, the U.S. championships. He uh, placed eighth at the USA Outdoor Championships. I believe that was 2009, maybe 2010, I think, and um, made a, a USA team that uh, traveled and competed in the Pan Am Games. So he ran the 200 in the Pan Am Games, and he was a uh, part of the uh, Team USA's um, four by one, four by 100 meter relay squad. So, and uh, he went on to have a professional career in Europe, uh, running races in Belgium, Germany, uh, Italy, and France. So, you know, that was the first of my professional athletic uh, successes as a coach. Um, the second was, um, Marcus Duncan. Marcus Duncan, uh, was from Trinidad and Tobago. He was recruited by central Arizona, uh, came here to run, um, 
had an exceptional junior college career, national champion, went on to ASU and uh, suffered what everyone thought was a career ending uh, hamstring injury. Just no one expected that he could recover from it. He joined my um, elite uh, track club and we rehabilitated him and got him back out running on the track. And he went and ran in his country's national championship, made uh, the national team. He competed with uh, Trinidad and Tobago at the Commonwealth Games in 2011. And then he uh, made their four by 100 meter relay squad for the 2016 games in Rio. Uh, so, and um, he continues to compete professionally. He's in Trinidad, back and forth between here and the US and, and running in Europe. Um, Lawrence Trice was another athlete. Uh, he came out of ASU. Uh, we coached him to opportunities in Canada. Uh, their series of professional competitions there. And, um, and then my uh, Spartan OCR. So Andrea came to me, she was uh, exceptional on the obstacles. If you know anything about the Spartan races and OCR, you have those obstacles and she was exceptionally talented, strong lady. She could, you know, had no equal when it came to the various obstacles that they have to negotiate throughout that, that race. But where she was just absolutely getting destroyed was when it came to the running, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a running component to that. And however good she was through the obstacles and over the obstacles and around them and, and whatever, you know, they throw at her, she would just blow away the competition, but they'd immediately, you know, overtake her when it came to the running. And so her husband for a, uh, uh, I think it was an anniversary gift, um, sought me out and asked me to have a session with her to kind of identify why it is she can't do better when it comes to the running. And so uh, I, we, I met with her, um, did the assessment and just identified, you know, again, with every athlete, with every runner, it's about identifying what the limiting factor is, what is keeping you from running faster, running better, being more efficient as a runner. And um, oftentimes it's easy to see and, you know, I can quickly coach to it. Other times it's, you know, it uh, takes a little bit more digging, a little bit more work to figure out what's holding them back. But for her, it was simple. She just had no stride whatsoever. And um, I could see it when I met her and, you know, little tweaks immediately improved her running. And then we spent the next year and a half of me being her run coach. And um, so she had a coach for her obstacles. She had a coach for strength. I was the run coach. Um, I created her workouts. Um, and a year and a half later, she was a world champion. That's, that's amazing. What were some of her limiting factors with her stride? Um, so she had what we call the, what I refer to as the, the old man shuffle. It was the the lack of getting the feet up off of the ground and creating a greater stride just by uh, improving the, the, the stride mechanics. So one of the very first things that I'll look at, and I've had plenty of athletes, endurance runners in the past that immediately when I take a look at them and watch them run, 
if your foot doesn't step over the opposite ankle, then you're not getting enough height in your stride. Hmm. Everyone should minimally be able to step over their ankle. So I always, you know, I always start those shufflers off with the imagine there's a, a, a rod, a pole that's running horizontally through your ankles. Okay. And you have to step over that. Now your ankle is really not that high off the ground. Uh, so it doesn't become some, you know, high knee drill or anything, but um, you have to minimally, I minimally start those who have that shuffle to get them to step over their ankles. And if once they start doing that, they'll start to see immediate improvement. And then we build from there. So that's what it was for her. She just, her stride was horrible. You know? yeah. uh, another thing that you can, you know, self-diagnose, um, it might be a little bit hard to know yourself or see that you're not getting your foot up off the ground a little bit better than you should or stepping over the ankle. But um, one of the things that you can do, and I tell them this, particularly if you're running on a track or you're running on asphalt or, or, or a pavement where you can hear your footsteps. So, so there's two things. If you hear your foot sliding along the ground, you're not picking your feet up. Okay. You don't want to hear any sliding. And uh, that, that little scuff sound you hear when your foot strikes the ground. If you're hearing that, you're not getting your feet up off the ground. And that's robbing you of energy and efficiency. And the other thing is you don't want to be stomping. If, you, if your footsteps are excessively loud, if you sound like you're stomping, you, then you probably are and you need to lighten yourself. So those are things that, you know, cues that I give them. And, you know, it worked out for her really well. And she became a very good runner because uh, she's a very dedicated athlete. And, um, and she won a world championship. Well, that's uh... – that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Um, not my stride cause I'm running in the mountains, but, um, uh, right now I'm trying to learn how to breathe differently, which is so difficult. Um, uh, cause my breathing is so sporadic. It's all over the place. There's no consistent consistency whatsoever. So I'm really trying to focus on, um, breathing through my diaphragm and stuff like that. So it, there's so many little techniques I'm sure you can educate us on, but, uh, what I want to talk about a little bit is, uh, you're, uh, I love the fact that you still compete, and I, I see here you you were a USATF Masters state champion in the 400, 800, and 1500. Yes. Um, so ha, ha, what age uh, does Masters start? I'm asking for a personal friend Okay. me. <laughs> Starts at, well, sub-Masters is 35. So loosely 35, but actually 35 to 40 is sub-masters, and then 40 above is masters. And actually, there's a seniors division, but um, uh, a seniors, we like to continue just to call it masters. We like to leave the senior part out of it because uh, I'm 54, and um, so I'm up there. But uh, it's funny how, as a master's competitor, you kind of look forward to moving into the next age bracket because then you're the youngster in the age bracket <laughs> right so it, uh when you won the uh the master state champion uh in the 400 what was your time in the 400 uh 59 and then uh what about the 800 800 i think it was 215 216 not too what are you what are you doing to improve yourself as a coach they're actually doing the things you're asking the kids to do. Sure, absolutely. So, yes, I um, 
like I mentioned, I'm, I'm really a student of the sport. And when I made that transition 15 or so years ago from having been a sprinter or sprint oriented to a endurance runner and endurance athlete, I, um, I began to just really dig in, um, everything that I do or have done with my athletes, I myself have gone through and have gone through in, in more recent time. So, you know, within the last 15 or so years. So it's not a situation where, you know, yeah, I ran, you know, 30 years ago, but uh, I'm running right now. Okay. And I very much believe that in order to become really proficient in something, you you have to spend, and, and I've heard this somewhere, I don't know where I got it from, uh, but you have to spend 10,000 hours. It takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And when I made the decision back in 2008 that, you know, I'm going to be an endurance athlete and an endurance coach, I began putting in my hours. I began coaching around the clock. I was coaching youth sports out in Gilbert. I'm coaching club teams in Glendale. You know, I'm coaching high school in Phoenix. Uh, I'm running myself. And, uh, you know, I, I became certified with USA Track and Field as a level one coach. And I came USA Track and Field uh, official. Um, I went out and got a certificate in youth exercise science through the National Academy of Sports Medicine and just on and on and on because I, you know, I want to build up that knowledge base. I want to get out there and have that experience and just coach, 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 get those 10,000 hours in so that I become a better and better and better coach, you know, each year. So uh, I'm still a long ways away from my 10,000 hours, so I'm not an expert yet. So I'll just continue to uh, train, to learn, uh, to you know, execute on what I'm asking my athletes to do, uh, myself included, and um, and I follow a lot of the other uh, great coaches out there uh, very closely. Uh, I attend a lot of seminars, the workshops, and I uh, read a lot of books and, and listen to what some of these other you know guys who've been in it longer than I have done. And you know I'm very much looking forward to all of the learnings I'm going to have from. Uh, the seasoned staff at uh, Phoenix College. I mean, you and the rest of the coaches, and you guys have been around a long time. You've been doing it. You've had a lot of uh, success. So trust me when I tell you, I pay attention to everything that comes out of your mouth, <laughs> uh, you know, and I pay very close attention to what each of the coaches in the department are doing so that I can become a better coach. Well, I think that's what makes anyone a great coach is the fact that you don't think you know it all. I know I don't know anything. And as long as you keep that attitude of you don't know anything, like I don't know anything, uh, you're only going to evolve as a human being, as a coach. Um, I'm always trying to figure it out. I keep changing my approach. I, I try to steal as much information from anyone that I can get. So, no, I, I appreciate it. This is, uh, this is, this is going to con conclude our, uh, our podcast. Thank you so much for being on, Dempster. Uh, Thanks for having me. We we look forward to seeing how you do here at Phoenix College. I know you're going to make Phoenix College great uh, with all all the different things you're going to do for our, our program. We we surely appreciate you and and um, I know the ones that uh, you were interviewing against. It it was a it was a it was a big it was a big pool of uh, applicants and 
you definitely uh, were the one that uh, obviously stood out the most. So we're excited about you. And this will conclude our podcast of episode five. We'll see you next week.